Hi, everybody. Grab a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew 6, we'll get there here in just a couple of minutes. Maybe you've been traveling somewhere, or you were at a store, or, or something like that, and you saw a warning sign. I mean, our world is filled with different warning signs. But maybe you saw one, and when you read it, 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 it kind of made you cock your head a little bit and think, well, that's not right, because there are some warning signs that are, well, they're just kind of goofy. For example, take a look at this one. Do not breathe underwater. Well, thank you for that helpful warning. I, I kind of thought that was obvious, but maybe that's just me. Or maybe the second one, do not swallow the hanger. Again, it may be a helpful warning, but I'm not even sure it's possible to swallow a clothes hanger, but you, maybe I'm wrong. Or this, this last one, uh, stabbing prohibited. I mean, that's always wise to post somewhere, right? Hey, don't stab people. It's, it's wrong. We don't allow that stuff here. You know, I, I think that there are some things in life that don't really need a warning. They, they ought to be common sense. They ought to be intuitive to us, but that's not always the case, is it? Now, this section in Matthew 6 that we're going to look at today begins with a very odd warning. Watch out, Jesus says. It's a very clear warning, but here's what he says. We'll go to chapter 6, the first four verses. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, notice this warning isn't about sin. That warning isn't about walking away from the faith. That warning isn't about worshiping Satan. This is a warning about spiritual activity. It's a surprising warning. He warns us against the way that we give to God. And now, later in the chapter, Jesus will issue a similar warning regarding the practice of fasting. Uh, chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Again, this is a warning about a spiritual discipline, about fasting, about giving up food for a time to acknowledge our dependence upon God. Now, why do we need these warnings? Now, if those two aren't enough, sandwiched in between them is the same warning regarding a foundational spiritual practice that we're going to spend the next number of weeks talking about, uh, prayer. Look what he says in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. 
But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So what's going on here? Why warn us about spiritual activity? Now, again, he's not warning us against prayerlessness. He's not warning us against greed. What is he warning against? Here's his warning. And this is something that that people of faith everywhere need to really grab onto. We can do spiritual things for deeply unspiritual reasons. We can do God-honoring activities with selfish motivation. This is so much so that doing religious things, participating in religious activity, cannot be the measurement that we use to determine someone's spirituality. Here's what Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I never knew you? Really? Religious people tend to gravitate towards being tempted in doing religious activities for themselves, for their own personal benefit. But if Jesus is teaching us anything here, it's that that should never be true of us. Now, let's take a couple minutes. I want to go back and I want to walk through these three warnings in chapter 6 about prayer, about giving, and about fasting, because they all share very similar characteristics, almost verbatim. Jesus begins each section with a condemnation towards those who use spiritual activity to show off. Uh, Back to verse 1 at the beginning of verse 2. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Beginning of verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. At the beginning of verse 16, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. Now, notice he says, when you do these. He doesn't say if. So giving and praying and fasting are expected activities of believers in Jesus Christ But for those who make it showy, he uses the word hypocrite all three times. Now, the the word hypocrite is the the Greek word for actor. So this is someone who pretends to be someone they're not. So these show-offs, Jesus says, are just religious posers. They're not for real. And in each of these sections, these hypocrites are acting in, in spiritual ways to gain the attention of other people. They give with much fanfare so that everyone will see how generous they are. They pray these loud, elaborate prayers so that they can publicly impress people with how holy they are. They look unkempt, they look miserable and sad when they fast 
so that you'll know that they're fasting and see how devoted they are to God. Every spiritual thing they do is calculated so that they can get attention. It's not authentic. It's not motivated by love for God. So Jesus steps in and offers this confrontation over motives for doing spiritual things. Why do you do what you do? Why do you give? Why do you pray? And for those who do it with selfish intent, to look good, to be admired by others, to feel better about themselves, Jesus says those people get exactly what they were aiming for. The end of verse 2. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. The end of verse 5, he says the same thing. The end of verse 16, he says the same thing. Those people who are doing this with those motivations, they have received their reward in full. They got exactly what they were hoping to get and no more. The attention of people mattered, not God. And they got the attention of people, not God. Now, we can sit and agree with Jesus here, and we can, we can say, yeah, that's right. You go after all of these hypocrites. But then we can realize a little too late that maybe he might be talking about some of us. Because I think at some level, all of us can struggle with this issue, or at least we would be tempted to twist some good spiritual activities and make them about us. We could pray in such a way that others would be impressed with what we're praying. We could read our Bibles so that we can impress the members of our small group with how knowledgeable we are. We could fast. We could journal. We can go to Bible studies so that others would see how dedicated we are. That can very quickly sneak up and begin become the motivation. So it's not enough that Satan would tempt us to do wrong things. He also tempts us to warp right things and doing them for wrong reasons. And even when we're not concerned with what others think, we can still be guilty of less than holy motivations. I think it's easy in our day. It's an easy temptation for us to view spiritual activities uh, through a self-help lens. So, the argument goes, you need to exercise, you should eat well, you should drink lots of water, you should get at least eight hours of sleep, maybe do some yoga and pray. Why? Because those are good, healthy things to do. And if we're not careful, we can lump all of these spiritual activities that the Lord calls us to, we can lump them into the same category as everything else and view them as the same. Do these things and you will be happy you will be healthy, you will be productive. But that takes the focus off of God and puts the focus onto us. Now, let's be really honest here. When we do spiritual activities, when we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we fast, when we do all of these things, we absolutely benefit from them. Uh, and that's a good thing. We're, we're thrilled about that. We benefit when we read the Bible. We benefit when we pray. We're going to be uh, growing in our faith. We're going to grow spiritually. We're going to be more peaceful. We're going to be more kind. You know, for example, uh, for example, in the next uh, number of weeks, we're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at it phrase by phrase over the next number of weeks. If you were to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, 
for the next 30 days. You're going to benefit from that. In fact, I would issue that challenge to you. Open up Matthew chapter 6 every single day and let that be your prayer. Uh, just read it and allow it to come from the heart to the Lord and you pray the Lord's Prayer. You are absolutely going to benefit from that. You're going to develop a new, healthier, regular prayer life. It's going to be good for you. But is that the ultimate reason to do it? The point of doing spiritual activities like prayer or Bible study isn't merely spiritual growth. There's a difference between saying, I'm doing this to grow versus I'm doing this to know. God wants growth. And we talk about spiritual growth a lot. A number of the devotions that I've sent out a couple times a week during this quarantine have talked about that. Hey, this is an opportunity. You've got some extra time on your hands. This is the time to grow spiritually. Absolutely. God wants growth. One of the phrases we use regularly around here is, wherever you are, God doesn't want you there. He wants you to continue to grow. But what kind of growth is God after? God isn't necessarily concerned with growth in the number of minutes that you pray every day. That if you pray five minutes today, well, tomorrow you better pray six or you're not getting it right. He's not necessarily concerned with the number of Bible verses or Bible chapters that you read every day. Well, I read a chapter today. I better read a chapter and a half tomorrow so that I can continue to grow. He's not necessarily concerned with how many days in a row you fast. He's concerned about growth of your relationship with him. So when we talk about spiritual growth, we go a lot to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, In fact, uh, a week or so ago, that was the text that we used in one of my devotions that we sent out. And Peter says, God's given us everything that we need for a life of godliness. So make every effort to supplement your faith uh, with virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection. All these great virtues uh, that supplement your faith with them. Grow in these things. But here's what he says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how critical of a difference that is? You will be productive, you will be useful in your knowledge of the Lord. It's not about grow, it's about know. We want the the knowledge, the relationship to grow and deepen. The danger is that we would view spiritual activity as the goal. That the goal is for me to read a chapter of the Bible every day. The goal is for me to pray for 10 minutes a day or to fast one day a week or whatever it might be. Doing them is not the ultimate goal. They are the gateway. So things like prayer and Bible study and giving and fasting, they put you in the right position that allows God to work better in your life. That's the point of doing them. Because this isn't about doing godly things. Life is about becoming the kind of person that's pursuing God. And that's the life that Jesus is pushing us towards. Uh, Notice what he says in uh, verse 3. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. 
beginning of verse 6. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private. Verse 17, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. So give without thinking of the personal benefit. Pray without wondering who's listening and what they're thinking about what you're saying. Fast without letting anyone know seeing what's happening in your life. Because I think with the uh, popularity of social media, um, this has gotten worse and ramped up in recent years. Um, So every now and again, you'll see a video, uh, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, that they're somewhere in a city and they're helping a homeless person. So they're giving them money or they're uh, buying them a meal. But instead of just doing that and walking away, they have someone stationed with a camera or their phone out filming. So they, they are filming themselves, help this homeless person. Then they upload it to all their social media accounts. Who's that for? Or maybe you've seen there's kind of a trend for a while that uh, churches, in an effort to be generous, um, during a Sunday morning service, they would order pizza. And maybe they'd order 10 or 15 pizzas, something like that. And when the pizza delivery guy showed up, they would usher this delivery person out onto the stage in front of the whole uh, worshiping audience, and they would thank them for what they're doing and then give them some crazy tip. And there were some churches that gave them like a $10,000 tip. Uh, and how gracious, how generous that is, just to thank them you know, randomly for what they are doing. But then what did they do? They took that video of them being so generous and they uploaded it on all their social media sites and plastered it all over the internet. Again, who is that for? Uh, One of the things that that I regularly see uh, on different avenues of social media uh, are are what some church leaders and pastors do, um, particularly around Easter and around Christmas, uh, when uh, there's this swell of attendance that happens and there's extra services added, and, and you know, I follow a lot of, of pastors who are at fairly larger churches, and I'm in a network with some of those guys, and, and, and they're you know, pretty fantastic, and I, I think a lot of them really do have great motivations, but they'll humble brag about their numbers, and they'll put out on some, of, some social media platform, wow, I'm exhausted. We had 73 services over the last you know, five days for Christmas Eve. And we had 23,000 people who attended. Yay, God. Okay, who's that for? Or, wow, we just had this baptism service and we baptized you know, 125 people today. Uh, wow, we're so excited. Yay, us. Well, well, great. I'm glad that you've baptized 125 people. That's fantastic. But why does that have to go out for the world to see? What's the motivation behind that? Several years ago, I attended a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the speakers there is a church leader out of Los Angeles named Erwin uh, McManus, and Erwin's put out a number of books, and uh, they're very challenging, and um, one of the things that he said that year uh, was particularly helpful. He challenged the crowd. There's probably 15,000 of us there, I guess, at this conference, and he challenged us with this. He said, do as much good in the world without anyone ever finding out that it was you. And friends, that's profound. 
That is really helpful because approaching spiritual activity that way ensures that I'm not moving with wrong motivations. So I'm doing these things, not, not about what they think. It's not about what I get. This is about what God deserves. This isn't really about my reputation. This is about my relationship with God. Spiritual activity is not an end in and of itself. It is a means to get to know God better. And notice what Jesus says is the result of all of this. When you aim for God, you get exactly what you're aiming for. Uh, The end of verse 4, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. The end of verse 6, he says the same thing. The end of verse 18, he says the same thing. So when these activities are about God, not about us and whatever motivations we have, you get rewarded. And I think you get rewarded not just by God, but you get rewarded with God. Here's what I mean. When you make giving about trusting in God, when you give, you become more trusting. When you make fasting about dependence upon God, then when you fast, you grow more dependent. When you make prayer about deepening your relationship with God, when you pray, the relationship deepens. When you make spiritual activity about Him, God rewards you with more of Himself. He's the reward. And which would you rather have? Would you rather have the applause of people Or would you rather have more of God? I'll give you a moment to consider your answer to that question. Which one do you want? Here's the point. If you want to pray in a way that honors God, if you want to pray in a way that works and helps, and if you want to pray in a way that matters, then you have to strip away the self-interest and the self-desire. You have to make it about God and about the heart. Prayer requires humility. Live with a humble heart. Set aside self to pursue God. Now, it's from that place in Matthew 6, as Jesus lays all this out, he will now teach us the Lord's Prayer. Which, again, for the next few weeks, we're going to walk through together, phrase by phrase. But before we could do that, he had to teach us this. Because this is foundational. If you miss this, then you miss the whole thing. Before we learn what to pray, we had to learn how to pray. Now, the reason this is foundational to prayer is because this is foundational to life. Life isn't about me. It's not about you. Life is about Him. And in fact, the Lord's Prayer teaches us exactly that. Because when you read through the Lord's Prayer, here's one of the things that you will notice. I, me, and mine are nowhere to be found in the entire prayer. Here's what he says, Matthew 6, verse 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
What a powerful prayer. There's a reason that's the model prayer for us. Because it's not about us. It's all about Him. And on that note, we're going to take communion in a minute. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to go and get the elements of communion. And whether you came to the church yesterday and got communion from the elders or whether you have your own stuff there at home, after I pray, go and get those and spend the next few minutes acknowledging yet again, reminding yourself yet again that your life, your faith, your spiritual activity isn't about you. It's about the Lord who has saved you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are, we are grateful that you teach us these things. That you remind us that we have it within us to take very good, holy, spiritual things and turn them and twist them in a way that make them evil. We don't want to be those hypocrites from Matthew 6 who do spiritual things for deeply unspiritual reasons. We do them for you because everything is about you. And we're, we're calling this series the Kingdom Manifesto for the Sermon on the Mount because it's about you and your kingdom. You are the king of your kingdom, not us. So it's not about us, it's about you. And that is nowhere better seen and no more true than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Your glory revealed, your love revealed, your mercy revealed to us from the cross. So we take a little piece of bread and with it we remind ourselves of the sacrificed body of Jesus for this little cup of juice. We remind ourselves of the shed blood of Jesus. As he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed, not my will but yours be done. He made everything about you, the Heavenly Father. So we do the same. Help us to see where we're getting this wrong and help us to see what we can do these activities we can be a part of and participate in and make them all about you because you are the centerpiece of our life and you are the centerpiece of our faith. Thank you for Jesus. It says in his holy name that we pray. Amen.